You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of The Myth Pilgrim. Uh, always excited and delighted to have your company. Um, doubly excited every time we do something on The Lord of the Rings, because this story just keeps giving. Uh, inexhaustible is its riches, is its wisdom, is its propheticness for our, for our generation, not just for you and I, you know, but like, gosh, this story is like 50 years old now, and it's still so fresh. It's still loved. It's like timeless and cross-culturally popular. There are a lot of themes we have covered uh, in the Myth Pilgrim about the Lord of the Rings. Um, today's theme around around the idea of story and drama, I think this lies at the heart of why the Lord of the Rings speaks to us and why we love it and return to it again and again, because it tells the story of how a character, characters, move from a life centered around themselves, around the ego, around their own will, around their own preferences, into a life fully given for others, surrendered for others, uh, to a life where they abandon their own will, to surrender to a bigger will, you know, the, the other forces at work besides the will of evil, you know, that's what Gandalf calls this mysterious hand which, which Tolkien and many commentators recognise as God, the hand of God. So it's this story, it's the, the, the drama, the relating to characters moving from the ego drama, this is von Balthasar, theologian language, moving from the ego drama, pivot around the self, to the theodrama, the God story, pivoted around God and his purposes. And we see this most, um, I guess, profoundly illustrated through the journey of the hobbits, uh, Frodo and Sam, definitely, but Pippin and Merry too. We'll, we'll look at that a little bit more in detail. You know, the beginning of the story, they, they're they very much about, you know, the Shire. It's about comforts. It's about my will. You know, the next party, the next pipeweed, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's well and good. That's a place to start our life. By the end of the story, by the end of the trilogy, they are willing to give their lives for the bigger story, the bigger drama at work that's tr- that kind of permeates the whole of Middle-earth and all the history as well of Middle-earth. And and what's beautiful about this story is watching how it's not just, oh, okay, I'll, I'll renounce my life. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll step out of the shire and go and give my life for this big cause. You see the drama, you see the tension. And why we love that is because it reflects the reality of our lives. You know, we are invited to move from a place of ego drama centered around our will and ourselves into the grander story. The, and in fact, we are not just invited, we are ultimately inspired to. You know, what gives our life meaning and color and richness and eternal value um, is the moving from ego drama into theodrama, into God's story, the story that has begun way before we were born and will continue way after we have died. And yet our mark is indelible in this in this drama, and we have a place, we have a value in it. And um, yeah, and I'm saying this the same thing over and over again, but Lord of the Rings is able to capture this drama, this tension between the two stories, ego drama and theodrama, drama, in a way that helps us, at least unconsciously, to reflect, what will it take me to move from where the hobbits were at the beginning of the story to the place that they we know not just the hobbits but all the all the good good characters end up at the end willing to give their lives for a story 
um, that's bigger than their own. Um, I might just give a little bit of background to this, this theologian, uh, Hans von Balthasar, who first gave us this language of ego drama and theodrama. Um, von Balthasar's unique contribution to the faith is precisely because he recognized and brought our attention back to the fact that Christian life is fundamentally a story, a, a grand narrative that has spanned the beginning of time and will stretch out to the end of time. You know, think of in the beginning was Adam and Eve, those two. And then by the end, <laughs> you have everyone caught up in God's story. Heaven and earth are united. All creation is caught up in, in the grand story and, and elevated and perfected. Um, through divine providence. And you and I are part of this story. And if we fail to see our faith, our journey, our spiritual life as a story, we're missing the heart of Christianity. I mean, even look at Jesus. Jesus, yes, he's a teacher. He taught in parables. He was very wise and, and said very much sayings that, you know, people from around the world recognize as wise. Oh, that's a very good statement. You know, love your neighbor, of course. But really, what inspires us about Jesus is his life, his very life from his incarnation, from the Christmas, you know, Christmas, all the way to Easter, resurrection, all the way to his ascension to heaven. It's a story. It's a story that teaches his very life is an example of the drama we are meant to live about laying down our lives for a bigger and higher and a more fulfilling purpose, uh, ultimately the Father's purpose um, for all of humanity. And and the fruits of this surrender and the fruits of this living the, the theodrama is evident by the fact that you and I today are Christians and we're following in the footsteps of the grand storyteller himself. Okay, so one of the best expositions about this theodrama, ego drama um, business is I've heard is actually uh, Bishop Robert Barron. He talks about we'll know we're living the ego drama because we'll recognize our life is about me. And it's about riding the roller coaster of me getting what I want and then feeling high and happy and then me not getting what I want and feeling sad and depressed. And if our life is uh, characterized by this roller coaster of being happy when things go right and, and being down when things go wrong, we're actually living the ego drama because there's no other rhyme or reason for anything except, um, except trying to stay on top and riding this roller coaster. And ultimately, goes the problem with that kind of life it's not just the up and down and being you know, a slave to our passions and our desires. It's, it's ultimately boring. There's no other vision except riding the next roller coaster, the next wave to the next high. Um, contrast that with the theodrama, Bishop Barron says, where the highs and lows of your own life doesn't actually matter anymore because your will now is actually in line with God's will. And whether there is times of happiness or times of sadness, it doesn't really matter because, because the joy actually comes from knowing you are doing God's will. It's not about the, the short-term high or low or success or failure. It's actually about being the, the joy, the satisfaction, the, the deep satisfaction is about knowing you are part of the bigger story, the theodrama, playing the part you are meant to play so that you realize life is not about me, but it's about God's purposes through me. See, in the theodrama, our, our free will and our, and our desires aren't taken over. They're, they're perfected. They're elevated. You know, it's... It's, it's a dance. It becomes this beautiful divine dance between the Lord and, and ourselves, um, leading to not only our fulfillment, but the flourishing of God's plan for everyone around us and for the whole world. So now I'm just going to illustrate a bit more with the Lord of the Ring characters. Um, but if you can sort of get that to move from the ego drama to the theodrama, I think we've got the heartbeat of the Lord of the Rings. It gives you a new lens already to appreciate why this drama speaks so much to our culture, which is very ego drama focused, if you haven't noticed. So, in the beginning, the four hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Merry, uh, exist in a very sheltered, idyllic, um, innocent, 
um, reality in the Shire. And we, we love this. It, there's something very peaceful about, um, you know, community life and, you know, the simple pleasures and delights of, of good tea, good company, good food, you know, pipe weed and the next tea party, you know. They care little about, in fact, they don't even want to hear news about the outside world and, you know, the, the, the problems of, of men and dwarves and, and, you know, evil rings and, you know, tyrannical lords and anything like that. And in many ways, this symbolises us too. You know, our self-preservation, our, our love for security um, and all that. And there's a place for that in a spiritual life. But the, what we know from why the movie makes so much good sense to us is that can't last and we're not meant to stay in that state because grace intervened. You know, through Gandalf and the mysterious reappearance of the ring, um, the hobbits are called out of this idyllic sort of ego drama-centred world. And you can say then each chapter is about the moving further and further away from the ego drama uh, towards an end surrendering into the theodrama of Middle Earth. You know, like in the first couple of thresholds, you know, they're still really much thinking about, oh, well, if I take the ring to the Prancing Pony, then my job's done. I can, <laughs> like an elastic band, I'll come straight back, straight back to the Shire and continue living ego drama. But then Destiny invites them to the next threshold, you know, take the ring to Rivendell. And once we go to Rivendell, then our part in the story is finished and we can back to uh, the Shire, uh, back to ego drama land. But then as they open their eyes to see what's at stake um, and all the beauty of all the people of Middle-earth gathered at the Council of Elrond, Frodo at least begins to get a sense that, no, no, I've got a bigger part to play in this. And, and ultimately all four hobbits get inspired by this and they continue to, I guess, leave behind in, in a more direct way um, the Shire and everything else that symbolised for them and to become a part of this greater story. I think it's important to point out that in the spiritual life, in, in, in our own journey, um, Every time we reach a new threshold of, um, I guess, self-renunciation, of letting go of our will, we will be tested. There will be, um, you know, as Joseph Campbell calls, threshold demons. You know, and those of you who like role-playing games will know that when you get to a new level, you know, there's always a big boss before you get to the next level, right? You've got to fight the boss. There's threshold demons that will tempt us and call us and stand in our way to prevent us from entering deeper and deeper into the... Um, into the theodrama. I mean, you can call this the devil, <laughs> you can call this the world, the valleys of the world, you can call it the flesh, you know, our own inclinations for self-preservation and all that kind of stuff. But at each threshold, grace will be given for us to move further and further and surrender ourselves into this, the story that really matters, the greatest story ever told. Yeah, and there's sort of this pattern of um, stepping out, being tested, uh, stepping out further, being tested again, you know, the whole my will, going back to my will versus surrendering to God's will, that continues um, to why it makes two hobbits uh, walking along in the wilderness so compelling to watch, you know, they have to contend with uh, the outer demons, literally the outer, you know, the, the Nazgul and, and the malicious golem, to the inner demons, you know, their own temptations, their own... How much does uh, Frodo trust Smeagol? How much does Frodo trust Sam? How much does Sam trust Frodo? This is tested again and again. And, and each time when they learn to forgive and to trust, they are stepping more and more into um, a life ultimately symbolized by love, um, where the other, the other being, you know, you can say Sam or Frodo, but the other being others, Middle Earth, the other good people um, of their world, become the focal point and and the focus again moves away from their own immediate happiness and sadness to a fulfillment of knowing as much as it's a burden and the cross is heavy at times figuratively you know for Frodo it's the ring um, this journey is worth taking and, and ultimately you know as, as they're sort of on the slopes of Mordor ready to um, cast the ring back into Mount Doom they recognize there is no return journey you know, but I'm willing to give my life for this. I have stepped at that point, you know, everyone can see this is where it's Christ carrying the cross up Calvary. 
you know, it's, it's the final act of self-giving love where the, our entire lives are centered around the other, the good of the other. Oh, it's beautiful in that moment when Sam says, I don't think there will be a return journey, Frodo. You know, they're willing to give their lives now and they realize, and even us as an audience, we, we, we feel that like, yes, that's beautiful. What would it take for me to be able to live like Frodo and Sam, to be so willing to renounce everything that is good and beautiful about my the ego-centered life towards the theo-centered life, you know, focused on the bigger drama. Oh, and of course, the parallel journey happens with Pippin and Merry, you know, who are even more, <laughs> you know, idealistic and whimsical at the very beginning, you know, wanting to steal Farmer Maggot's crops, you know, that was the high of their life, you know, <laughs> their day, to, you know, rallying the, you know, looking like fools, rallying the, the, the ants, the, the, you know, those, those big walking trees um, to fight for the bigger story at work, to help them see past their own ego drama, you know, of all oh, its self-preservation, it's all about me and oh, woe is me, you know, Saruman's cut down half of my brothers and sisters, but that's okay, I'll just sit here. No, inspire them, you're part of this story, you're part of this drama that's unfolding before, before us. And ultimately, you know, the, the ants come to battle. But then even the fact that these two hobbits, they can't fight. They're short. They're, they're not fighters at all. They're, they're partiers and, and you, know, um, you know, relaxation people. Um, they join the war. They enter into the battle, you know. Um, Pippin rides out with, with Eowyn, you know, on, on her steed. Oh, even that, That's beautiful. Eowyn entering the theater drama. Um, but here's these hobbits. And why it's so stirring, again, is... What does it take us? It's, it's, it's reflecting. A, a story reflects back on ourselves. What would it be like for me to be in Pippin and Mary's position? How can my life reach that sort of level of clarity, of simplicity, of wanting to give my life for something else? Yeah, so that's, that's in summary, that's sort of like The Hobbits. Um, I can briefly mention as well, like, look, you could, this same pattern of ego drama into theater drama happens to all the main characters. Aragorn, he's another really good example, you know, begins the... The story, kind of a runaway, he's, he's kind of reclusive, he's ashamed of his ancestry and the weakness of men, you know, and he just wants to really just elope with um, Arwen and live life simply and not play his, not play the part he was destined to play, not take up his kingship and not lead anyone to anything. Um, but then we see his, his transition, right, as he comes to recognise his deeper calling, his destiny was to become king and to leave that kind of purgatory, <laughs> I call it purgatory, the, the cursed army um, to fight um, for Middle-earth. And, and ultimately he was willing to sacrifice um, even Arwen, and Arwen was willing to sacrifice um, Aragorn, which is again this beautiful, oh, love is self-gift, right? That even the love they have for one another, which was real and beautiful, it, that love transcends just the two of them and kind of um, infuses, overflows into the goodness of those around them and into the history of Middle-earth. And paradoxically, this is very gospel-centered, it is their willingness to renounce the love for one another and to allow that love to overflow, um, to reach the, to become the benefit of others, that, uh, that enables their love to actually be fruitful in the end. And they could come together and not only celebrate their love, but have the whole of Middle-earth celebrate their love with them. And ultimately, that love becomes fruitful. I, I think they have kids. I think those of you who know the post story, <laughs> I think they have kids in the end. But yeah, there's another example of the natural life-givingness of living theodrama. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, please subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you'd like to be notified by email every time a new episode is released, hop onto the website at themythpilgrim.com to register. 
let's land some of this this theology, this spiritual reflection on the Lord of the Rings a little bit more practically now in terms of, well, um, let's say I recognize part of my life is living in the ego drama, in the in the me story, and I want to move into the theo drama. What does that look like? You know, what if my circumstances, my work, my, my family, you know, I can't necessarily do something epic and do a Lord of the Rings and, you know, <laughs> leave the Shire and replant to an- another country and, you know, fight for a great cause. Um, there is a, a great temptation because when we watch a story or read a story like Lord of the Rings, we see the external acting out of what happens, right? We see, you know, the, the, the hobbits leaving the Shire. We see Aragorn willing to renounce Arwen. Um, but what we don't see, what isn't as well captured is what's going, what's the drama that's happening inside, inside their hearts. The outward expression of a person living theodrama is not as important as what's happening inside. So I think what's more interesting is the question of whose will is dominating my day? God's will or my will? Or uh, which parts of my life have I are willingly given God the control over and the sovereignty over as the king, as the lord of my life. And which parts of my life am I still very much, I'm the king, <laughs> I'm the sovereign here. Because um, that's already, that's a very big foundational clue as to uh, how we can move from the me story into the God story. Because it really is, the, the drama, again, of the entire scriptures is the drama between human will, human free will, and God's free will. And how ultimately we think that when we renounce our will, life will suck, it'll all fall apart. Whereas the, the Bible is reminding us again and again, and so is the Lord of the Rings, that no, to give your will to God won't destroy, diminish your will, it'll perfect it. See, every decision I make to lay down my own preferences, my own um, needs at that time, and to reach out and to accept and receive the other person as simply for their own good, I'm stretching myself. I'm living, I guess it's like that threshold demon, you know, it's, it's like when every time the threshold of Sam and Frodo moving from the Shire to the Prancing Pony to Rivendell, um, our capacity to receive, to live in the theodrama increases. And this is, another way to call this, is a life of holiness, a life of virtue. And ultimately what we're really doing, if we want to talk theologically, we're living the life of heaven. We're stretching our capacity to receive heaven because heaven is relationship. Fundamentally, yes, a relationship that's caught up in the life of the Trinity, if that's not big enough. But ultimately, it it includes and enfolds and necessarily celebrates the lives of everyone else as well, who are caught up and enfolded into this very life of of the Trinity. So so to the degree we allow ourselves to be stretched in love for others, um, to will the good of the other simply as other, is the degree we're moving from this drama, the story of ego, to the drama of God, to the theodrama. So hopefully you can see this whole episode and all this talk about drama and narrative is a lot more practical and a lot more scarily at our doorstep than we'd like to think. It pivots and centers around our capacity to love. True heroism in the Christian sense is to love and to love like Christ loved, to be willing to lay down your life ultimately and despite how bad things may seem around you and how little... um, reciprocation you get or how little fruit you see that to keep on surrendering to that bigger story of God's story being faithful and saying yes again and again um, even when it's all darkness around you and ultimately this is the journey and the life of a saint which is a pretty good goal and a way to live our lives as we are finishing our time today I thought I'd um, share with you a very beautiful 
um, prayer, a very dangerous prayer. <laughs> You'll probably see what I mean when I pray it, when I share it with you. Um, it's from St. Ignatius. It's called the, uh, I think in Latin, it's called the Suspice. Um, but it's also just typically called the Ignatian Prayer of Surrender. And he, um, anyone who's done the 30-day spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius will recognize this prayer that we pray. We're encouraged to pray throughout, and especially at the end. Um, and I think it's very appropriate to share this because if we were to truly pray this every day, um, we will dramatically see the transition or feel the transition from the two dramas we've been highlighting a lot today. So I'll definitely upload a copy of this prayer, probably on a nice card or something, um, on the Myth Pilgrim website, and you can access that link via the show notes and, and on the website. But I'll read it here as a way of um, kind of wrapping up and concluding our episode as well. So the prayer of surrender is this. Take, Lord, and receive my entire freedom, my memory, my understanding, and my whole will. All that I am and all that I possess you have given me. I surrender it all to you to be used according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace. With these, I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more. Amen. There you go. Beautiful, isn't it? And can you see why it's dangerous? Because if we pray that sincerely, we actually have this deep knowledge that God will answer that prayer. Mm. So there's an invitation and a challenge for all of us, myself included. Yes, so until next time, dear pilgrims, journey forth, take care, and God bless. God bless.